You're listening to Straight from the Pulpit. Here you will find sermons taken directly from the pulpit of Shenandoah Baptist Church in Verona, Virginia. We preach Christ, study the Word of God, and help the Christian grow spiritually by applying God's Word to their lives. For more information or to read the pastor's blog, go to sbcverona.com. That is sbcverona.com. John chapter number four, we've been talking about being rooted in the love of Christ. As we go through um, a series here on bearing spiritual fruit, first we are looking at um, the root system. And I tell you what, I was um, thinking about, you know, next Sunday night, boy, it's going to get personal next Sunday night. Are you excited about that one? Are you excited about uh, stepping on some toes next Sunday evening, being, um, having a rooted family, having a rooted family? And uh, getting getting a little personal there, uh, but I'm looking forward to getting into that. But you know, being rooted in Christ's love, this is every bit as personal as well. Uh, I may not be meddling with your marriage or your family, but um, in a sense, I guess I am. And, and we'll talk some more about that tonight. But uh, being rooted in Christ's love, we talked first. Uh, we basically we defined the love of God first, and we said that love originated with God, and that God is the equivalent of love. He is love. He is the only real definition of love that we can come up with. We also said that love is orchestrated by God. He is the one who wrote down how it is supposed to work. He is the one who initiated it. He designed it and he put it into practice. And so if we then are going to try to imitate it in any way, the best we can do is imitate God's love, not the love the world has taught us. We also talked about how to display the love of God last week, how to display the love of God we said first that his love was sacrificial last Sunday evening. His love is sacrificial. And if I am to then display the same kind of love as God, then my love also ought to be that of a sacrificial love. We said last week that his love is faithful. The faithful love of God, the faithful love of Christ, faithful even unto death. And if I am to imitate the love of God in my relationships to my wife and children, to my friends and family, neighbors, then I am also to have a sacrificial and a faithful love. That's why one of the reasons why we say love is not a feeling. is feelings subside. They come and they go. True love is a faithful love. It is a decision, a determination to love and to cherish from this day forward till death do us part. Tonight, I want to look at this, as I mentioned before, developing a Christ-like love. You're in 1 John chapter number 4. Let's read the verses here that we have been going over, beginning in verse number 7, and we'll end in verse number 11. 1 John chapter number 4 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. In other words, if you know God, you know love. If you're not exhibiting love in your life, do you know God? <laughs> yes, I know God. Uh, yes, I know God. Well, then you, we would see some love in your life. We go on in verse number nine. In this was manifested or revealed or displayed the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, 
but that he loved us. I like, you know, this is love. Herein is a description of love, not our love for God. I'm not asking you, raise your hand if you love Jesus, you know, and everybody raises their hand because, of course, they have to, right? Um, no, we're not talking about my love for him. I'm talking about his love for us. This is love, his love for us, in verse number 10. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. In verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And so we look here at how we can develop Christ-like love in our life. Let's get have open here in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for bringing us together. I thank you, Lord, for this time and for these scripture passages we're going to look at tonight. And I ask that you would teach us, Lord, to love one another in a right and an appropriate way. Lord, I pray that you would help us to love one another in the way you do as well. I pray that you would help us to love one another enough to forgive. That you'd help us to love one another enough to pray for one another. To love one another enough to reach out to one another. To ask questions. To uh, help one another stand. To edify one another. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to exhibit enough love to sacrifice for one another, that you'd help us to exhibit enough love to be faithful to one another. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to have that same kind of love toward you, that we'll be willing to be sacrificial in our love toward you and faithful in our love toward you. I pray that you'd help us to learn to develop that this evening. And Lord, as we take and meditate upon these things as well, and we ask all of this in your son's name, I pray, amen. To develop the love of Christ in our lives, first, we must love him. I have to understand his love. We've defined it. I have to see how it was displayed so that I can imitate it, but we must reciprocate that love. Mark 12. Go ahead and turn there. I don't want you to get bored and fall asleep on me this evening. Mark chapter number 12. I want to read verses 29 and 30 here. Mark 12, verse number 29 says this. And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Verse 30, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. I've heard of, you know, people like with arranged marriages, just kind of giving into the idea of the arranged marriage with the hope that they'll grow to love one another. They'll grow to love one another. Uh, you know, and in America, you can, of course, pick your spouse. We don't do, some people do, do you know, courtships or arranged marriages in, in a similar sense, but you know, we don't do that sort of thing. And uh, if dad picked him out or picked her out, then it's somebody I've just got to grow to love. And sometimes that, that does happen. It works out in that way, that as you get to know them, you grow to appreciate them more and love them more. As you begin to learn more about their habits, you begin to learn more about their character, you begin to appreciate and to love them more. Now, sometimes the opposite also works, uh, doesn't it too? If you started out with an emotional kind of love, uh, the kind that is infatuation based upon looks or based upon that initial sweet spirit, they may have just been only put on for the dates, you know. Uh, and then you begin to uh, find out who the real person is and the, the idiosyncrasies and, and quirks that you didn't know about and maybe more than you had bargained for along the way. Um, 
you that, that, that emotional love begins to fade and uh, that, that, that love becomes a little bit more work if it was founded in the wrong place, if it was founded on infatuation. It was founded on that youthful idea, that a youthful emotion of love. The way it's supposed to work is that as you get to know one another better, that it is supposed to increase that tie that is between you. You become more and more vulnerable to them, and they become more and more vulnerable to you. And so you carry more of them. They carry more of you. It causes you, or it should cause you, to rely more heavily upon one another, which will increase that bond between you, which is in, also increases the love that is between you. God develops his love in us when we spend time seeking him and walking with him as well. The more time we spend walking and talking, but seeking him out, that increases that bond of love between us. When we open the word of God and read it, he speaks his love to us. As we read about the coming Messiah, as we read about the Messiah who came, depending on where in scripture you're reading, we get some good stuff there. But we must love him. So as we grow to, to, to walk with him and to spend time with him, he increases our love towards him. I, obviously, this is easily compared to you know, a husband-wife relationship. You know, maybe not so much a parent-child relationship because before that child's even born, the very minute that child's born, mom and dad love that child to death. You know, uh, they don't know anything about that child yet. They don't know what their voice is going to sound like. They don't know what their talents are going to be like. They don't know what they're going to end up looking like. Are they going to be, uh, you know, chunky or thin? Are they going to have a high voice or a low voice? Are they going to like carrots or no? You know, are they going to have uh, these problems or no problems? Are they going to be fast or slow? You know, are they going to be uh, uh, strong and athletic or not so strong and athletic? You know, parents, we don't know anything about this children as soon as they're born. All we know is that that's our shriveled up little potato right there. And uh, this one specifically belongs to us, even though it looks like all the rest, but this one's ours. You know, this little potato's mine and, and this has my DNA in it. This has my blood in it. And uh, this is the one that God gave to me. And I remind my children that of all the time. You know, you may not like daddy right now, but you remember God gave you to me. So you better like me. So I'm the only daddy you have. And, uh, you know, this is the only mommy you have. So you have to be nice to her, even if you don't like that she told you no. Uh, or wait, or whatever the case is, you can't be mean to her. You have to be nice to her because she's the only one you have. So you have to treat her well. Often tell the kids. Now, I didn't have to spend much time with the kids to love them. That was a, a natural, you know, I, I just love them. With God, we do have to grow our love towards him. There's, there should be this initial as we understand salvation, as we understand the great gift that he has given to us, there's, there should be that initial love and appreciation there for the great salvation and the sacrifice that he has done for us. But that love too can wane, can subside. No doubt that's happened in your life where you've not spent much time thinking about it. Christ's sacrifice and the, the love has kind of faded or gone off to the side. Well, how do you prevent that? How do you prevent the, um, your, the, your love for God growing cold. 
in the same way you prevent your love for another person growing cold. You have to reach and you have to seek that person to prevent the love from going cold. Getting to know them, reaching out and trying to spend time with them. This is the way to build that love, even with the unlovely. There may be somebody in your life that you would consider to be difficult to love. Hopefully it's not your spouse. But there may be somebody in your life that you may deem it to be difficult to love. How do you grow your love toward that person? Hey, you pray for them, absolutely. It's hard to be angry with somebody you're pray, actively praying for. But how else do you grow your love toward that person? By reaching out to them. By keeping reaching out to them. Not awkwardly, I guess, but you know, by keeping that relationship, by keep continuing to seek them out. It'll grow your love for them, and it may grow their love for you. But for God, you have to seek him out. Seek him out. His love is ever apparent. His love is there. It's not hidden like his wisdom isn't hidden. You need to seek it in order to develop it and grow it. So we must love God. We must also love one another. You're there in Mark 12. Look at verse 31. We saw the first commandment. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment, verse 31. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Now, it's because God loves us that we can love one another. When we walk with Him and we experience the love of God, it will be reflected in our daily walk to others. That love that we get from God becomes available in our own hearts. When we ask Him for love, when we seek out His love, He fills us with it so that we can give it out. But when we feel bitterness in our hearts towards somebody else, we can be assured that we're not walking in Christ's love. Do you harbor bitterness in your heart towards somebody? Somebody who has deeply wounded you. Somebody who that you feel justifiably angry with, but not justifiably bitter. Because there is no such thing. For that anger to continue on month after month and year after year, that's not justifiable. For that anger to continue on and it's never been dealt with, never been forgiven, never been cast aside, never been replaced with love. That is not the love of God in you. That is your flesh rearing its ugly head inside you. And so he tells us, as we read back there in 1 John 4, you know, if you have love... You know God. If, if you don't exhibit love in any way, it's clear that you don't know God because if you know Him and you're walking with Him, that love is just going to be clear and evident. Like a young person who has just started having a girlfriend, you know, and it's the only thing he talks about and the only thing he thinks about and uh, it's all you hear about and you could just see it as like a big sign across his face. I got a new girlfriend. If you love God, it will be obvious for others to see. We think about this. Our sin wounded God. It was because of my sin that he hung there upon that cross. I'll tell you one thing. If you did something wrong, and then I had to go through 
the punishments that Jesus Christ had to go through on that cross, not because of what I did, but because of what you did, I would have a very difficult time having the same spirit that Christ did in that situation. I mean, wouldn't you, if we're just being honest here? If I did the bad thing and you had to eat the punishment, and I'm not talking about, you know, losing your allowance for a week here. I'm talking about suffering the shame and a very excruciatingly painful death and humiliation. Because of something somebody else did, that'd be tough to swallow. Yet I wounded him in that way. But he willingly took it. This is Christ's love. Let me ask you this. Has somebody... Can somebody wound you as deeply as you wounded Christ? Can somebody wound you as deeply as those thorns went into his brow, as that spear went into his side, as those nails went through his hands, and even greater than any of those things, can somebody wound you? Has somebody, is it even possible for somebody to wound you in the same way that it wounded Jesus Christ to simply bear the burden of shame and guilt of countless sins for which he never committed, but he still bore that burden. Is it possible for somebody to wound you that deeply? The obvious answer is, well, no. People can wound our body. People can wound our bodies very deeply. And people can wound our spirits. And they can wound our spirits very deeply. And wounded spirits can hurt just like a physical wound can. Wounded spirits can take even longer to heal than physical wounds can take to heal. You can ask most any soldier who's been in combat how long it takes to get over some of those emotional wounds and trauma that they had to go through. And some never, never get past it. Never does that wound get healed. And yet some folks too, maybe as a child, maybe as an adult, were wounded in one way or another and never get past it and never get over it. But have, has you, have you ever been wounded as deeply as Christ was wounded by us? And yet, He forgave us faithfully and justly. He forgave you. He took all of that sin that you've committed in your lifetime and that you will commit, and he, he bore its guilt and shame on that cross, willingly forgave you, and on top of that, he offers you a home with him for eternity. On top of all that, he offers you hope. He offers you his hand of fellowship. He offers you patience and long-suffering, and he offers you love. And when our kids wrong us, we can overlook it. It may bother us. We may get upset. It may bring tears, but we still offer them love. Is it possible for our kids to wound us in such a way that we withdraw that love? I would hope not. Has it ever happened to some parents and children? Oh, I'm sure it has. But they have withdrawn their love unjustly. But God doesn't. Our sin wounded him, causing the need for him to suffer and die on that cross. His love, his forgiveness still gets extended to us, even though we don't deserve it. 
What about, though, on the other hand, what about somebody that's bitter toward us? How do we show love toward them? In Matthew 5, 23 and 24, it tells us this. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First, be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. It says, if you're going to the, the, the altar to offer a gift there, and it, you remember that you've wronged somebody. You've stolen from them. You've hurt them. You've wronged them in some way. In a sense, it's like, you know, hypocrite. Here you are coming to be spiritual. Here you are coming to offer up your gifts, but you know you've wronged somebody and not sought forgiveness from them. What does he tell you to do? Leave your gift there. Go be reconciled to that brother and then come back and offer your gift. We may not always know the offense that we caused, though. We may not always know why our brother is bitter against us, but yet God calls us to be reconciled to them. Now, if you know somebody has something against you, God places that burden of reconciliation on you. If you know you've wronged somebody and you've never gotten it settled, you've never sought forgiveness, you've never worked it out with them, the burden of reconciliation is on you, the one who has done the wrong, not upon them to seek you out. We all know of cases where the person who has done the wrong has sought the person out and they did not want to forgive. They did not want to deal with it. What do you do in that case? Well, you do reach out and you try. Maybe you try again. You pray about it and you leave it in the Lord's hands. But you make sure that they know that you're sorry for what you've done and you've sought forgiveness, even if they won't forgive you. The burden rests upon you to seek that reconciliation and forgiveness. But you can't make others forgive you, though. God is faithful and just to forgive, but mankind is not always. You can go and you can ask if you can pray together. If there's something they need to talk, you need to talk about. I'm sorry I hurt you. Please forgive me but you seek that reconciliation and maybe you'll find your relationship restored back to where it was before. And you might find that things were never like they once were, that you're never going to enjoy the closeness that you once had. You can't make somebody love you, but you can through your walk with Christ show love to them, Christ's love to them. That much you are required to do. You are are required to seek forgiveness and reconciliation. And you are required to to, to, to offer forgiveness too. If you're the one who has been wronged. Again, I can't compare the way the ways I've been wronged with the way that we wronged Jesus Christ. And yet he was sacrificial and he was faithful and he he forgave. He offered it willingly even though I wasn't even alive to ask for it. He still offered it. He offered it to those who would still deny him. He offered it to those who would despise him. He offered it to those who would bow down and worship other gods. He still did it and offered it as a free gift to them. This is the love of God that we saw displayed. And now we are to love others in the same way. This is how we show God's love to the world. It's not often that that we as Christians have the platform where we can show God's love to the world around us, you know, maybe 
online or on the news or in some way that it is noticeable. Maybe something happens to you and you have the opportunity in the newspaper or on the news or in some way, you have the voice to lift up your voice and say, this person wronged me, but I forgive them. Because God forgave me of so much more. How could I not forgive them of what they have done to me? I read a story about a woman who was preparing a surprise evening for her husband. She had a friend come over and they worked, you know, all day cleaning the house. She must have had kids. Um, they set up a fancy table, cooked a, a, a good meal, scrubbed the floors. Unfortunately, he came home early. They were not expecting him. And he came in and walked across that kitchen floor in his muddy boots. And uh, her friend, you know, went, oh, no, you're walking across. Uh, you're getting the floor all muddy. And his wife, you know, replied, yeah, his boots, his boots bring in the mud when he comes home, but his boots also bring him home. Being able to look past those problems, to see past the mud, past the shortcomings, to love them for who they are rather than who we wished they were. And we, we, that, that statement of loving somebody for who they are has been misused a lot lately. Somebody said, well, love me for who I am. I'm really a, I'm really a girl. You know, I really am a girl who loves guys uh, who think they're girls too, you know, or whatever strangeness that, you know, whatever ridiculousness they got going on these days. And so you need to love me for who I am. That doesn't compute. I'm sorry, I do love you for who you are. I love you for who God made you, not for who you think you are. That's what God commands us to do, to love them for who they actually are. So no, I'm not going to get caught up in your, in your mental mess uh, of who you think you are. But when we're talking about our loved ones, though, we're loving them with all of their warts and all of their moles and all of them muddy boots, looking past some of those things and loving them, not for who we wish they were either. You know, sometimes you enter into a relationship with expectations and then you find out that your expectations are not going to be met because your expectations maybe were not realistic and that uh, this person is not perfect and maybe your expectations were that of, per of perfection. That doesn't give you the excuse to not love, especially to love the person you vowed to love. Look back at 1 John 4, verse number 11. 1 John 4, back to verse number 11. I, I want to point out a specific word here in verse number 11. It says, for this is the message that ye heard. I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong chapter. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought. We ought, it says, also to love one another. Ought means to owe that which is due. Uh, the goodwill that is due. God says that we ought to love one another, which means that we cannot separate loving God from loving others. I can't just go and rest myself on my little island and say, I love God and that's good enough. Everybody else just leave me alone. If you're, um, if you're, uh, you know, more of a, a closed off person that likes to be alone, you might be gonna, you might think that way. Everybody just leave me alone and let me love God, but that's not the way life works. If you love God, you will love others. You cannot separate the two from one another. 
And so as we talk about being rooted in Christ, if you are rooting yourself in Christ, and again, it's, a, it's an image of sending those roots down deep into everything about who he is, into every characteristic of who Jesus Christ is, then you will have love for others, even the unlovely ones, even the ones tailgating you on the way to church or the one who cuts you off, even the one who is rude and, and keeps cursing in line in Walmart. Uh, it doesn't matter that God will still give you love, even for your brother and sister who sometimes are selfish or sometimes are mean or bullies. If you love God, you will love one another. So then we need to express his love. Thirdly here, we need to express the love of Christ. In Romans 1, 14 and 15, Paul says this, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in, much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. How do we express Christ's love? One way we can express Christ's love is through sharing the gospel. If we love somebody, we're not going to withhold the gospel from them. If we love somebody, that is the main message that must be shared with them. We can share recipes and we can share uh, pictures and photo albums and we can share stories. We can share dinner and meals. We can share a television show. We can share any number of things with our friends and family members. But do we neglect to share the gospel with them? That is the true test of love, scripturally speaking. You can't make them accept Christ. You can't make that decision. But love requires we share the gospel with them. Sometimes time is short, and you know what? You can't just get it launched into the gospel, or they're not interested in hearing uh, the gospel. Give them a gospel tract. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, they'll pick it up and they'll read it one day. No, they'll probably just toss it in the trash can, or they'll toss it on the table, and it'll get lost on all the other papers and mail and stuff that gets on the table. Maybe, but just maybe, it'll fall out on the ground, and they'll pick it up in the next week or two. And they'll happen to notice it in a moment when they're receptive. I've talked many times about my pastor in Florida, how he got saved. He had been witnessed to by a friend of his who was, you know, part of the street corner gang there up in Philadelphia. And uh, he had gotten saved and kind of left the group. And uh, he kept trying to reach out to his old gang of guys trying to reach out to them and share the gospel with them. And they tried to keep away from him. And, you know, pastor didn't want anything to do with this guy. We even went so far as to cross the street when he saw him coming. The guy crossed the street and chased him down anyways to give him the gospel. He didn't want anything to do with it. Later, he finds a tract on, a, on the trolley that they have up there in Philadelphia. And he sticks it in his pocket. And later, he sits in his room and he reads that gospel tract. He wasn't receptive all the other times. He was convicted, absolutely, which is why he didn't want to hear it. It was that conviction that, that makes people just like, no, leave me alone. I don't want this. I don't like this. Get away from me. It's that conviction that does that. Hey, that's a good sign in, in one sense, because that means uh, that the Holy Spirit's working there. You give them that gospel tract, maybe they'll pocket it. And maybe there'll be a time when they pull it out and they read it. You know, 
There's an interesting thing about love, about loving and giving. I read a statement by Amy Carmichael. She was a missionary to India. She said this, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. You know, we're to give the gospel. There's many other ways that we are to give as Christians as well. Many people give without loving. Companies, you know, they give Thanksgiving turkeys to their employees that they don't actually love or know anything about. Stores give rebates to people they don't know. That giving is often, it's rooted in self-exaltation. It's rooted in self-preservation. It's rooted in what I can get back from you. I'll give you a gift card or a coupon so that you'll come and spend money and I'll still make money off of it. Is that true loving giving? No. It's not. It's possible to give without loving. But it's not possible to love without giving. When you love, you give. You give of your time. You give of your energies. You give of your wisdom. You give of your knowledge. You give of your efforts, your sweat, your blood. When you love somebody, you give. God gave everything he had. Jesus gave his life. God gave his son. And we can express our love through giving as well, through giving our time and talents by being soul winners, by giving our time and talents, by helping and working in the service of the Lord, by sacrificing our personal comfort to meet somebody else's need. God loved us through giving. We can love others through giving as well. Oftentimes we equate giving with, with you know, tithes, with our finances, and there's a reason for that. Our money is, is very related and tied to the possessor because it's hard to give money without giving a portion of yourself, in a sense. So when you give in the offering, it is an expression of love. If you're doing it for the right reasons, you're saying, Lord, I give of myself. This is an expression of my love to you. I give because you're God. You are love. You manifested your love by giving it all. I manifest my love by giving it back to you. 2 Corinthians 8, 7 and 8 says this, Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. What grace? Abound in what also? He says in verse 8, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of forward, forwardness of others. And to prove the sincerity of your love. To prove the sincerity of your love through what? We said, I want you to abound in faith and knowledge and diligence and in your love toward us. He also says, I want you to abound in this grace also. What's he talking about there? Paul is speaking of financial giving. He uses the giving of the Macedonian Christians as an example to the Corinthian church. He talks about how the Macedonian church gave that which they didn't have. He gave that the Macedonian church gave above that they were able and that they trusted God to provide the increase because they cared so much for Paul's ministry. They gave more than they could. They were very poor, but they gave liberally. But first they had to give themselves to the Lord. And they proved the sincerity of their love, like we read about there in 2 Corinthians 8.8. 8. To prove the sincerity of their love, they gave. And in verse number 9, it says, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, 
that ye through his poverty might be rich. He made himself poor and gave everything to us. What do we give back to him? The Macedonians' Christian giving was an overflowing of love, the love of Christ in them. So they rooted themselves deep in Christ. And in turn, the love of Christ came and flowed through them. We've talked many times about how you cannot just force fruit. We talked um, in Sunday school this morning about the parable, or not the parable, but the story of Jesus uh, coming up to the, the fig tree and seeing that the fig tree was alive. It had leaves. It appeared to be healthy and, and full of life, but it was not producing any figs. And of course, this being a type of Israel that had the promise of fruit, it looked like there was life there, but there was no fruit being produced there. And so Jesus cursed that tree and it withered away right there in front of the disciples, teaching them this lesson. I can't just force that fruit of love to be, to be coming out of me. I can't just say, you know, okay, you know what? This is my week of love. This is the week I'm going to focus on love and I'm going to try to reproduce that love as best I can. I'm not saying that's a terrible idea, but that's not how it generally works. You produce the fruit of love as a byproduct of being in a right spiritual environment, as I've said many, many times. So you root yourself deeply in Christ and at this moment in his love, and then it will flow through you. To root ourselves again means we have to stand still. Back when we were going through John 15 and talking about um, abiding in Christ, and this was many years back now, abiding in Christ, about being that branch and attaching ourselves to the vine and just staying there. Abiding, meaning to spend time with, to walk with, to stay put, to, uh, to abide with. We are to abide with Christ like the branch abides in the vine and draws its nutrients up from the vine and then uses those nutrients to produce fruit. So we must root ourselves in Christ. So in conclusion here, love is who God is. We cannot separate God from love. And true love is not separated from him. He originated it and he orchestrated love. God displayed his love through Christ. He displayed it through his sacrificial giving of his son, his sacrificial love. He displayed it through his faithful love. And God develops his love in us when we plant our roots, roots deeply in, down in him. How is Christ's love being developed in your hearts today? Maybe we're all in different places. Sometimes it's just so hard to get over ourselves long enough to dwell upon Christ's love, to be able to reproduce Christ's love. But he wants to develop it in us. As his spirit produces the fruit and love in us, we begin to show that love out to others. Sacrificial, faithful giving that draws other people toward, toward Christ. When they see our sacrificial love and our sacrificial giving to others, it draws them to Christ. So how... How is your Christ-like love? Could you be characterized by Christ-like love in your relationships? Or would they characterize you with some other adjectives <laughs> other than love? That's between you and the Lord. Something that you need to think about and pray about this week. Let's close in a word of prayer. 
You've been listening to Straight from the Pulpit podcast from the pulpit of Shenandoah Baptist Church in Verona, Virginia. Be sure to follow this podcast and share this sermon with a friend. And if you're listening on Spotify, please leave us a five-star review. See you next time.